Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. I want my MTV. Once again, here we are. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. I'm going to let you finish, so, man. I'm going to let you finish. But uh, real quick, real quick, I just wanted to shout out that, that my music video is indeed the best music video. And we'll get to that shortly. But uh, go ahead, go ahead. You'll finish up. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Kanye would be proud. So yeah, it's the Album Nerds Podcast. Dude, Andy, Don, we already know how Andy's doing. He's interrupting. And uh, Don, how are you? You like me. You really like me. <laughs> Will anybody get that reference? That's from the Oscars, I think. Yeah. Yeah, are you making... It's <laughs> a Sally Field. A sa- yeah, a Sally Field <laughs> reference. Perfect. Come on, man. Now the demographic. Yeah, right there. <laughs> Jeez. To most of you, she's probably best known as uh, Forrest Gump's mom. That's <laughs> All right. So this is the Album Nerds Podcast. We love albums, the album format, talking about records and music. And we've got a great show for you today. We are focusing on albums that feature songs that had videos that won VAMA, Video Music Award for MTV, the best videos. So that made for some interesting pickings. We're going to answer a question loosely related to today's topic. Going to do some shout outs to some album related items that we're digging. And then, of course, we'll spin that wheel of musical discovery to find out what kind of albums we're going to talk about on the next show. But this time, VMAs, baby. That's what I'm talking about. The MTV Video Music Awards, or VMAs, uh, is an award show presented by the cable channel MTV to honor the best in the music video medium. The first VMA ceremony was held on September 14th, 1984. And despite mostly abandoning music videos from the programming, MTV still presents VMAs every year to surprising fanfare. And today, each of us will present an album with a song that won Video of the Year at the VMAs. Yeah, interesting. Short list compared to what we're usually working with because we're only looking at people who won it, Mm -hmm. right? So there's only so many times that can happen. It was a varied list within the pop sphere for the most part. How'd you guys do? It was pretty interesting going through these. I mean, you can kind of see the the trajectory of popular music change over the over the decades as you're going through these. So yeah, I mentioned a, a couple. I mostly stuck to the 2000s. I listened to uh, Eminem's The Marshall Mathers LP. I still haven't heard that all the way through. I hadn't heard it all the way through either. It is violent and brutal and terrifying. <laughs> I was shocked that was as popular as it was, considering the content of it. Well, it was a it was a weird time in in media where things did get kind of yeah. The bad boys were kind of popular. Yeah, very bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, listened to Rihanna's record from 2008, "Good Girl Gone Bad," which was pretty good. Uh, Some Kendrick Lamar, and then I went down a a rabbit hole with a very popular artist that we'll get to shortly. Uh, well, I uh, I like to go to the '80s, um, so <laughs> one I <laughs> one I would have loved to have done, of course, is Peter Gabriel. So, Sledgehammer was just you know such yeah. an innovative video uh, at the time. But we've done a lot of Peter Gabriel lately, so we'll give him a, a rest. Also, um, Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. That's uh, that's an album I've I've spent a lot of time with. Uh, yeah. th- th- that I enjoy. They should change the name of the album, The Melancholy and the Infinite Album. <laughs> yeah, it is long. It is long. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Dude? Yeah, so this was, 
what Andy mentioned about seeing the trajectory of music, time passes so freaking fast. When you look at the top of it in 1984 and then you look at the bottom of it, it's like, where the hell am I? <laughs> so yeah. I went to some familiar places, Aerosmith, kind of long, crazy, amazing, crying. But <laughs> Living on the Edge is a really cool song. Green Day, American Idiot from 2004. Not, I've never been a huge Green Day fan. Dookie is probably my favorite if now going back, but uh, it did make a huge impact, that, that album, and it introduced them to a new generation. Kids who thought it was, no, you know, that I was too old to have ever heard of Green Day were into them at the American Idiot phase. <laughs> um, and then I did listen to Justin Timberlake's The 2020 Experience from 2013, which I did enjoy at the time as well. But I wanted to look back and kind of get the, the feeling of classic MTV with the pick that I ended up making. So without any further ado, let's get to our choices. You choo-choo choose me? And these songs maybe started out being about something that happened to me or in my life. My dream is that when they go into your world, they become about your life. This is a love song, and I'll be your host this evening. My name is Taylor. I thought we were the hosts. Taylor cutting in on our, on our I mean, that's what <laughs> she does. She takes over. Taylor gets a piece of everything, man. That's how it works <laughs> nowadays. So, yes, indeed. We are talking about Taylor Swift. The day has come. She uh, won the VMA back in, actually, this last year in 2023 for her video for the song Antihero, which is on the record Midnight's, her 10th studio album. We are going to play a little bit of Antihero right now. Yeah, that's cool. I was afraid that it was against heroes. Like, you know, she hates Superman and Batman and stuff. But that did not turn out to be the case. So I was very relieved. A hero could save us. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, boy. No Chad Kroger here. <laughs> All right. So that, that did win her in the VMA. Uh, also broke the record for most opening day streams on Spotify with over 17 million. Just kind of mind-blowing numbers. Though. Yeah. Um, the record itself was the best-selling record of 2022, with over two and a half million copies sold in the U.S. alone. It's loosely a concept album. Uh, deals with kind of like late-night ruminations and uh, inspired by Swift's insomnia, I guess. Yeah. So I've been kind of Taylor Swift curious for a couple of years, and I guess she's you know, she's really <laughs> she's really blown up. TSC, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with her, her meteoric rise in popularity, if you like the last couple of years, you just can't uh, you know avoid her. Um, so yeah, I've been digging in a little bit, and there's definitely some stuff here. It's kind of interesting. So well, she's she's even infiltrated the world of the NFL now. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, she is like the NFL the last few months. <laughs> I know. It feels like. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of stupid. I mean, who cares who's dating who? Let's let's watch some football, right? But uh, but anyway, yeah, it's so weird. But yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about her a little bit. Uh, the three words I used to describe this album are late night zeitgeist sparkle. Ooh. This feels like, you know, it's a very Taylor Swift record in that, you know, her persona is like here in spades, you know, that kind of like just that confessional style lyric writing. Mm -hmm. But then there's this like, you know, a very modern, very 2022 sounding pop production behind her it's you know it's not the simple guitar or piano or even you know country from back in her earlier career 
So in that way, it feels like kind of a combination of like a very modern sound and also kind of like what we knew she was in terms of her personality and presentation in the past. And I think in that regard, it's a, it delivers kind of what I was hoping for from the record, I guess, and kind of maybe what hopefully you know her fans were were looking for as well. Yeah, I think uh, what you mentioned there, like I have listened to a couple of her country albums when we were prepping for Modern Country, I think, because Taylor Swift Curious over here as well. Um, <laughs> We should have a maybe a support group. We should start a support group. <laughs> so, like, I, I knew about Midnight's. I'd heard a lot about it. I'd heard it mentioned on podcasts. I've heard reviews of it. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I jumped into the pool, like, with my eyes closed and still trying to reach the bottom. Yeah, I think, like, her previous two albums were more sort of, like, in the alternative folk vein. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I ended up liking that one song she did with, is it Bon Iver or Bon Iver or yep. whatever. Bon Iver. Yeah, it seems like she keeps finding different genres to, to put kind of underneath her, her songwriting. Why don't we hear one of those cuts? It's one of those like sort of dreamy love songs, very Swift-esque. This is Labyrinth. That song was uh, co-written, uh, like a lot of the songs on the album, with Jack Antonoff. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Why did you have to do the, just the pause, pause there? I could just kept if going. You, if, if you just kept going, I wouldn't have caught it. Yeah. So apparently, he's like a guy. He was in that group, Fun, or is in that group, Fun? Mm, yes, yes, I remember them. So yeah, I mean that one. That's a that's a track that uh, that appealed to me. You know, just because uh, you know, again, I'm a I'm a sucker for the for the synths, uh, particularly you know, sort of that those analog synths. And you know, I just like this the dreamy feel of this song. I like her singing kind of softly in that higher register. Uh, and that song's about uh, I guess basically just anxiety uh, about love. So three words I, I choose to describe the album are love erasure too. Because uh, yes, uh, I, I feel like this just sounds like, um, you know, the erasure I was listening to back in the 80s and 90s or <laughs> OMD. I mean, there's just a lot of analog synth pop. I think it's, uh, isn't it OMG? Isn't that what the kids say? No. <laughs> <laughs> Orchestral maneuvers in the dark is what he's referring to. Yes. Uh, and I know a, a lot of like modern pop is uh, adopted that, you know, some of the analog synth sound. So I, I am a sucker, uh, a sucker for that. Uh, this album actually reminded me of that group Churches that like spells mm-hmm. the converges. Yeah. The, the C with a V, you know, like a, a female led synth pop group. And yeah, I, I mean, I think this treatment uh, of her songs you know, is is effective, you know, I guess particularly because, you know, it's supposed to be those late night ruminations, as, as Andy put it. And I, I, for some reason, I feel like that electronic background uh, frames that that well. I was her her voice is you know just still very youthful. I mean, it sounds the same to me as it, as it did in two thousand five or whenever she she started out. And then just her her, her lyrical style just sounds like a, you know a young person. Yeah, it, it's perspective, right? So when you're right. thirty, you feel like you're not a young person anymore. But when you're fifty, you think thirty-year-olds are kids. You know, yeah. I think it's, I think it's more than that, though. I think I mean she's great at walking this line between being like very vulnerable and also being like a kick-ass, you know, no-nonsense kind of woman. Yeah, I think in these songs, like she does, it's a lot of that, just kind of 
you know, especially around love, like there's so much confusion around love for her, I feel like, and, and uh, apprehension and stuff. She's been yeah. heartbroken yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys think it's the, the swearing weird? It was. It was. I, I think of, of her being so wholesome and then she drops the F-bomb on here and there's a, there's that one track, uh, Vigilante Shit, which is kind of like kind of up in your face a little bit. I don't know. I wasn't, I didn't expect that side of her. So it was probably the most surprising part of the record for me too. I wasn't expecting it, but once I heard it, I was like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, part of her whole thing and why the Swifties and the Swiftos love her so much. That's male Taylor Swift fans. Swiftos. Swiftos. Um, why they love, I just made that up. Why they love her so much is because she, it, it feels like she's letting you in, right? Yeah. And being Very herself. Genuine. So a grown woman is very likely going to use uh swear words sometimes uh in her banter so at first i was like what but then after i'm like well duh it's fine i mean i guess overall you know it like all good pop it just it sounds good like i have no objections to to listening to to this record you know it's quite you know it's catchy you know it reminds me of like the k-pop records we, we listen to you know it mm-hmm. all just you mm-hmm. know i have no real objection to it but it, you know i guess it's just not all that interesting Ouch. to me. I think that's fair, man. I don't think there's anything particularly unique about it, but it does seem solid, I guess I would say. Swifties yeah. and Swiftos, go find <laughs> uh, Album Nerds Don on Instagram. Let them know what you think about that. <laughs> all right, let's turn another cut from the record. This is one of the, uh, the more poignant tracks. This is called You're On Your Own Kid. All right, so uh, she kind of takes a look back at where she started, um, you know, like the song 15 from her 2008 album Fearless, and it just kind of feels like she's looking back at all that she's done, all that she's sacrificed, but also all that she has. And, you know, we kind of alluded to this, but there's a losing side to huge fame, celebrity, and success as well. And I think she's kind of reflecting on those things. Um, The three words I used to describe this album were atmospheric diary entries. Not, like I said, I'm not really familiar with her discography. And uh, uh, when listening to this, when you're an outsider, you have to respect the vibe. And this album is full of vibe and... uh, the sounds work really well, I think. I can't say I loved it. I can't say I would go back to it, but I enjoyed my time with it, if that makes any sense. And uh, I have a little bit more of an understanding of what this whole deal is about. So that was cool. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in the same place with it. It sounds like it's, you know, enjoyable record. But yeah, I think it's a pretty solid release. Um, so once again, Taylor Swift, that's S-W-I-F-T. Yes, thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> The record is Midnight's. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. And the winner is... Big moment here. 
So I'm going back to 1991, where uh, R.E.M. won Video of the Year with the song Losing My Religion. Uh, oh, wow. Losing My Religion uh, appears on their seventh studio album, Out of Time. R.E.M. Uh, was formed in 1980 in Athens, Georgia. Uh, the core lineup was Michael Stipe on vocals, Mike Mills on bass, Peter Buck on guitar, and Bill Berry on drums. Let's hear the big hit, Losing My Religion. That's a familiar song. Yeah. Uh, so this video is directed by uh, Tarsim Singh. Apparently, it was a combination of ideas um, from Stipe and Singh. Uh, Stipe wanted the the promo to be just like a straightforward performance video, which they hadn't done a, a lot of at the time. And uh, Singh wanted to create a, a video uh, in the style of Indian filmmaking, uh, where everything would be like melodramatic and very dreamlike. Singh was right. <laughs> Singh was right. Yep. <laughs> it was very dramatic. <laughs> It's apparently modeled after uh, the short story by uh, Garcia Mar Marquez, a very old man with enormous wings, uh, in which an angel crashes into a town and the villagers have varied reactions to him. Hmm. This video and this song changed the way videos looked and changed a lot of what contemporary pop music sounded like at that time. It's weird how it set two standards because yeah. I saw so many videos after this, uh, people yeah. with wings and the same totally. kind of cinematography. And I think the style yeah. was like prevalent throughout the rest of the nineties after, yeah. after this came out. I mean, I think I'm thinking of lightning crashes by live right now, which is, has yeah. a similar vibe. Doesn't yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I've always loved the, the song, um, I guess because it actually is a love song and it really doesn't have much. I mean, th there's a metaphor for, for religion there, but you know, it's just, it's basically just a, a simple, like a obsession, uh, love song, uh, which is something REM had, you know, not done up until out of time. So the, the three words I, I chose to describe out of time is a uh, fucking great album. Uh, <laughs> Don with the Taylor uh, Swift F-bomb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Don didn't talk like this till Taylor Swift influenced him <laughs> to true. use potty mouth language. Becoming an anti-hero. <laughs> I mean, there are several candidates for best R.A.M. album. I, I think this is probably my favorite, and it's the one I've, I've spent the, the most time listening to. Like, for me, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say every song is, is great, uh, and it, it fluctuates between light and dark. And I, I don't often like this, but it is the first R.A.M. album to feature special guests. So you have KRS-One, like a not obvious choice to choose from hip -hop. Kind of a surprise, yeah. 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 I mean, they could have done, you know, MC Hammer or Vanilla oh, Ice right. at the time or something. <laughs> a little more artistic uh, credibility yeah. with KRS-One. Okay. Bismarck E would have been my choice. Oh, Bismarck E would have been mm -hmm. interesting. Of course, uh, Kate Pearson from the B-52s appears on Shiny Happy People. I think of Sesame Street. When <laughs> oh, yeah. They did Furry Happy Monsters. Oh, did they? Really? Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, this is, I'm in danger of just saying way too much about this album, so I'll let you guys talk. Oh, no, you said too much. <laughs> All right, well, uh, here's uh, uh, the third track from the album. This is Low. This is the lane that I like R.E.M. in the best. Personally, not the shiny, happy people side, but this song, Low, I think appeals to me the most because it reminds me and sounds a little bit like where they go with Automatic for the People, 
which is mm-hmm. the album after this, which is my Good. favorite REM record, which is a little darker overall. This this album kind of jumps between mm-hmm. all kinds of emotions and sounds, and they kind of lean more into that feeling from low in their next record. The three words I used to describe this album are the new pop. This is what pop music became. Um, other bands, other artists stylistically started sounding a lot like Losing My Religion with mandolin and more, I guess confessional lyrics and pop music kind of shifted for a time to this sort of vibe and it's pretty amazing uh, how much impact a band that had been around for so long uh, in the shadows on college radio and alternative radio when they broke through they immediately made an enormous impact and uh, that's pretty impressive and then they got lumped in with all the other alternative stuff like grunge and whatever else which really are unrelated and sonically other than the vibe the overall vibe so i love this album it was great listening to it again and uh yeah rem's cool it's um you know it's interesting to kind of see the evolution of rem like i I think early rem um it was all about just like capturing that sound so it was sort of like this blend of of post-punk and like southern rock but then you know as they went on it became more about the songs and I, i feel like this album you know was really them you know sort of in that songwriting prime well let's hear another song this is half a world away How the hell did they get away with this? This is, It's amazing. The music that they were making that people were like, yeah, this rocks. This was, so, this was so popular at the time. I remember when this came out. It was one of the first records I remember being like a big deal growing up. Yeah, I got like harpsichord and cello on yeah. it, and it was like a huge yeah. pop hit. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, the Columbia House BMG cassette and yeah. CD clubs you could join, that was oh, always yeah. at the top. You can get oh, Aria yeah. out of time for free totally. and these for a penny. <laughs> yeah, so. I still haven't made my 12 purchases. <laughs> God. <laughs> my three words describe this album are The Big Sleep. Not that this record is boring by any means. I think it just has a big sound, much bigger sound than I was uh, remembering or, or just expecting from R.E.M. There's a lot going on in terms of like the production of the record. Lots of interesting things happen sonically. As we alluded to, there's like the little bit of hip hop and funk in the opening cut there, radio song. Um, never would have expected that on an R.E.M. record. And there's like some straight up bangers. I mean, Shiny Happy People is like about as pop as they've ever been. And, you know, is it a, a, you know, a great song? Probably not among their best, but it is pretty interesting to hear them go down that road. Um, but for me, I think what I really love about this record the most is, is more on the B side and kind of as the dude alluded to, that more automatic for the people kind of sound that they were, would get into shortly. Songs like Half a World Away, I think, you know, really do capture that. What I like about REM, that sort of melancholy, but like very intellectual sounding and, you mm-hmm. know, just really interesting from a musical standpoint, what they're doing. So yeah, I guess the stripped down stuff, I, I still find more enjoyable personally, yeah. but it's interesting to hear them go through all these different, you know, kind of sounds and on one record. We don't have time to play it, but my favorite song on the album actually is, is Country Feedback. Hmm which is just like another sort of dark brooding song. I Michael Stipe said it was uh, like a, an attempt to sound like Neil Young, mm. um, but it's got the slide guitar on it and everything. 
one thing I thought, you know, one thing I've appreciated about REM records is kind of like the rich layers to the lyrics. Mm. You know, a lot of hidden meanings and, and, uh, you know, poeticness to it. I didn't get that as much on this record. It felt a little more straightforward to me. Is that, is that what you're feeling too, Don? Or what would you say in terms of, uh, Michael's lyrics? I, I think more of it is, I mean, I think he tends to be very, what, like surrealistic or abstract or, or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think a lot of these are, are more direct. Good point. His voice sounds amazing, by the way. Yeah, he does sound good. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been, uh, I've been gushing. So I'm going to nominate REM's Out of Time for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. So can REM go from the VMAs to the Ainhoffs? Uh, I vote yes. <laughs> I'm sure that's their dream. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those bands where they have multiple albums in their discography that would probably qualify for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, and this is one of them, so yes for me. Yeah, it's probably not my favorite R.E.M. record, but I do agree that it is very influential, and it's really good. So, yeah, I'll say yes as well. Okay, congratulations to R.E.M. Out of Time is now in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now it's time for Deep Questions with Don. In your opinion, what is the greatest music video of all time? Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, uh, it goes back to about this time period, actually, when uh, R.E.M. was hitting it big. I remember watching Super Bowl. The Bills were in, so it must have been early 90s. And uh, we switched over to MTV at halftime. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. They had like a little countdown timer, which was inaccurate, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the video for Tools Sober, Oh, which uh, has like this cool stop motion thing going on mm. with like this little ragdoll character. I've never seen anything like it. Never really heard a band like Tool before. You know, I was pretty young and that I really stuck with me and I still find that video to be pretty awesome today. So the tool in general has such great, great music videos whenever they do something, they always do it a hundred percent. So that'd be my pick tool sober fighting the urge (laughs) to go. Why can't we? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Don't blow anything out, man. You've got classes to teach. So, yeah, I mean, my mind, because I didn't have cable, so I didn't really watch MTV a lot. I had stolen moments of MTV at my grandparents' house and stuff. So, I love my MTV. Like, for me, probably Michael Jackson's Thriller is the biggest, most impactful um, when videos started becoming mini movies. I think, you know, that Michael Jackson era of uh, bigger production values and stuff on videos. Um, So I'd have to go with that. Although some of my favorites were in the 90s that were, you know, Pearl Jam and and Alice in Chains, those, those dark, grungy, gritty kind of creepy videos those were some of my favorites but as far as greatest probably thriller uh so i'm kind of going in the other direction so kind of like the the anti-video it's an obscure choice but you guys should check it out if you you haven't seen it um the replacements did a video um called bastards of young from like 1985 I, i didn't see it until it was like on 120 minutes but it's basically it's just black and white there's just a shot of like an amplifier um, in a studio, and then you just kind of see people 
sort of moving around in the forefront you know, during <laughs> during the song. So there's like literally like nothing going on. Just one one static shot. <laughs> yeah, of, of an amplifier and people kind of walking around in a in a studio. Which, oh, yeah. interesting. Well, early yeah. MTV was a lot of just whatever you could afford to shoot. Yeah. Right, and then those big budget movie style videos where you get celebrities to star in them and stuff made it a little hard, you know, harder to reach for the uh, the non superstar artists. So yeah, I, I love those those uh, videos that look like no one gave a shit, but they really did. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nineties. <90s. laughs> so, what is the greatest music video of all time? Let us know. Catch us on the socials: Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. Also on Discord: albumnerds.com/discord. And the winner is for MTV's best video of 1984, The Cars. Okay, so I went back to the beginning. The very first VMAs were in 1984, and the winner of the video of the year were The Cars, with the song You Might Think from their album Heartbeat City, released March 13th, 1984. It's New Wave, uh, the fifth studio album by The Cars, Represented a, a comeback for the band. Um, they they had some huge success with their self-titled album, and then, you know, hits, but it kind of lost momentum a little bit. Uh, and they worked with a uh, well-known producer, Mutt Lang, who helped reshape their sound. So why don't we check out a little bit of you might think. Such a memorable video. Now, I think the, the funny part for me is looking at the, uh, as we researched this, the, the other nominees were Rocket by Herbie Hancock, Thriller by Michael Jackson, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. That's a great video. And Every Breath You Take by The Police, which was stunning at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy that the Cars won, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The clip I played, it had uh, Eddie Murphy was one of the one of the guys given the award. And when they were looking at the envelope, I could see Eddie Murphy's face kind of, it seemed to me like he was like, the fuck? <laughs> that should be thriller. <laughs> <laughs> I could be imagining it, but that's what I thought I saw. It was the first to utilize computer graphics. Uh, Rick Ocasek is a fly at one point. His face opens up. There's a bunch of weird stuff. The band is playing uh, on a bar of soap that's floating in the water. And these graphics <laughs> are terrible by today's standards. But at the time, it was so memorable and quirky and weird. Uh, so they took like the, the slick 80s sound and then kind of helped propagate it and set the tone for what a lot of other pop music in that era sounded like after this. Three words I used to describe the album are 80s road trip. Get it? Cars? Who wants to go oh, yeah. on a road trip? I'm usually, uh, don't try to be clever, but I should have asked Chet GPT for help on that one. Uh... <laughs> The production here, there's some Def leopardy moments, and Mount Lang worked with them as well. The, the track Hello, when you hear the Hello, it sounds like oh, yeah. a Def <laughs> Leppard song. It's a it's a good record. There's good basic Cars songs with just a, a couple extra coats of paint. So if you like the old stuff, you, you totally could dig into this, but I think some folks probably feel like it's a bit too slick, but it, it did set the tone for the time. Can't imagine. Yeah. All right, so why don't we... Get to the title track, Heartbeat City. It's no fist city, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> it's the sixth and final single off the record. Wow. 
pretty successful when you're putting out six singles off of a 10-track record. Um, very ethereal electronics, very electronic sounding record in general. The three words I use to describe this album are Mutt Demolition Derby. <laughs> I really like the cars, man. I really enjoy their 70s output. Those first couple of records, I think, are just great songwriting. And really, they had a great guitar sound in the 70s. You can still hear that the sort of like heart of the songwriting <laughs> is still intact on these songs or on this record here. But just like glossed over in the 80s sheen, man. And it is so in your face. And especially um, a handful of the tracks here are just so synth heavy. To me, it just sounds so cheesy. And it's, it's hard to really separate the two. And But bands have to evolve, right? I mean... Or sell out, you could say. It would be another word. It's it's interesting for, for guys like us and, and younger people than us to make these judgments, right? Because you can go back and listen to the discography and then make decisions that this is when they sold out or whatever. But at the time, they were at the head of the parade. They were leading the thing. So it didn't seem like they mm -hmm. were selling out. I mean, and this was my probably, except for the singles before, this is when I became aware of the cars. This is who they were. So when I went back to listen to old albums, I'm like, man, these are so stripped down. Where's the, you know, <laughs> yeah, where's the right. big slick synth sound? So I think it's all about perspective. If the songs are good and, you know, Rick is a great odd lyricist in that it's really easy to make your own connections and, and he doesn't fill in the blanks for you. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really well done album outside of some mutt lang isms that are just too similar to other things he did. But overall, I, yeah. I like the sound on these songs. There's some odd choices. There's some like weird backing vocals. A track like It's Not the Night, which to me just sounds like it belongs more like in a musical than, than <laughs> on a, you know, an 80s album like this. Yeah, just some odd production choices that I think haven't aged well. But I mean, you can't deny that they're just good, good songwriters and that's, that's still here. Speaking of 80s and what you expect from an 80s album, you got to have some nice ballads. This is, a, in my opinion, a great one. So why don't we uh, listen to a little bit of Drive? So Drive was, uh, like all the songs, written by uh, Rick Ocasek. Uh, the bass player, Benjamin Orr, uh, sings uh, lead vocals uh, on this one. That used to confuse the hell out of me, man. I'd see the video and I'm like, wait, yeah. the, the tall skinny guy with the sunglasses is the singer. Is this guy lip syncing? Who is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> So I just love the the simple drama of this song. I mean, it's a very you know just very basic song, but it's just loaded with these uh, you know these these over the top synths. It just produces an intensity that I, I don't think you can even create with like a real orchestra, you know. So I, I think that's one of the benefits of a, a of synthesizers, just the the drama that they can can produce. Also, like just lyrically, it's not just a it's not a sappy ballad. I mean, there's a maybe just like an element of like chauvinism and I don't know. It's mm. not, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, it's dark, I, I think. Anyway, uh, the three words I, I chose to describe the album are polished pop prose. I think uh, at their best, you know, the cars blend that poppy songwriting, but with like a, a rock and roll spirit and then just like general goofiness. 
and that you know I, I think that certainly rings true on this album. It's a, it's a collection of great songs, and I can kind of go back and forth on the production. I, I guess I would agree that it's it's probably a, a bit overproduced, but I, I guess as I've aged, and maybe it's just more of a, a sense of nostalgia. But now I kind of like '80s sheen and, and production, mm-hmm. uh, whereas back in the '90s I would have like rebelled against it, and I probably would have dismissed this album as being um, '80s cheese. But uh, yeah, this is not an album I had spent a lot of time with. Well, I had the greatest hits at one time, and like five or six of these songs are, are on that. But I always, you know, gravitated to Candy O and the and the first album. Um, but I mean, I think just in terms of songwriting, this this album is nearly as strong as as those those early records. Yeah, Stranger Eyes, I think, sticks out to me as one of the lesser known songs that sounds cool. More rocking. That one actually feels um, more like those those early records. Mutt must have had the day off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a journey through music videos and their impact. And the uh, cars definitely had a, a bigger part in it than I gave them credit for. And uh, it was cool not only watching that video again. It's even funnier to me now because the graphics are so, uh, so bad. <laughs> But yeah, you know what? Yeah. Um, the other songs, the other videos from the album are pretty groundbreaking as well. Magic had him um, like walking on yep. water, and Drive had them being like mannequins performing. So. Yeah, they definitely they, at that point they had the budget to to up their video game, not video game, their video production <laughs> game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go go check out you know go check out the cars in general, but uh, take a listen to uh, Heartbeat City. Get a little nostalgia. Enjoy. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right, guys. Well, we uh, explored the uh, the interesting world of the the music video. You know, not something we, we generally focus on uh, on the show. But what else are you guys uh, checking out lately? Uh, shout out a couple new releases from 2024. I've been grooving on. Um, first one up is from Boldy James and producer Nicholas Craven's hip hop record. Very heady lyrics about, about street life. Um, it's kind of like a throwback slash modern sound. There's definitely a lot of like, you know, vintage like uh, soul clips in the production. But uh, Boldy James is on point on this record. I think he sounds really good. I think he had a, he was in a car accident recently and he's, a lot of this record deals with him like recovering from that. I guess he's lost the ability to walk and he's kind of. Jeez rediscovering that so um pretty interesting album the other one i'll mention too is uh from nelia hunter the album is called love gaze it's a very uh ethereal kind of haunting i guess you would say r&b but maybe more in the shoegaze genre just very very pretty mesmerizing record from her you know something about shoegaze i recently learned I always thought it was just because they're depressed and looking down, but it's because there's so many effects pedals that they have to keep their eyes on. That's what I read somewhere. Uh, I did not know that. (laughs) Makes sense. Uh, so uh, I'm uh, really excited. The Pet Shop Boys um, basically have a concert <laughs> film that's that's going to be in theaters on uh, January 31st. Somehow I was able to score so, tickets. Was um, it really so that hard? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sell out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's called Pet Shop Boys Dream World: The Greatest Hits Live at the Royal Arena, Copenhagen. So you know, in preparation for that, of course, I'm immersing myself in the Pet Shop Boys catalog. 
Cool. Enjoy <laughs> the show, man. <laughs> so I once again made a, uh, I made another album purchase, but this was based on one of our episodes, episode 222, Top Country of the 2010s, and the Casey Musgraves album, uh, Golden Hour. I really dug it, and I went out and got myself a vinyl copy, and that's, it's been fun listening to it on vinyl. It deserves the album treatment, you know, feels good. It's a good one. I also have been poking around. I'm not a huge Green Day guy. I've enjoyed some of their records. There's some fun on Dookie. But their album Saviors is coming out January 19th, 2024. They've got four singles out there right now. Dilemma, The American Dream is Killing Me, Look Ron No Brains, and One-Eyed Bastard. This will be their 14th record. The guy just never discovered Claritin <laughs> or Flonase. <or. laughs> <laughs> You're right, I need to play. Oh, wow, guys. Uh, <laughs> but I've been listening to the singles, and, you know, I, I'll go check out the album. Uh, there's some interesting stuff. They sound like them, probably their American Idiot era to some degree, but I want to see uh, what it's all about. Is it going to get political? Is it going to be about being older dudes in the pop space? We'll see. Oh, I hope you have the time of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Well, what are you guys checking out out there? Let us know. Hit us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and threads. Also on Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. It will be a discovery of extraordinary value. Well, guys, it's about this time on the show when uh, I usually am reminded of the great Irish writer... James Joyce. Of course. Think about him all the time. <laughs> Me too. Uh, you know what James liked to say? Mistakes are the portals of discovery. Wow. And I think he was right. Yeah. I think you should do that in an Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> portals of discovery. That's Scottish, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that in mind, let's see uh, what mistakes we can make on next week's show. Let's bring out Wadbots. Television has often been a tool for musical discovery, from live performances, to music videos and everything in between. Next week, you will be exploring albums by artists that performed on the 1980s music series, Solid Gold. Solid Gold! Cool, so Solid Gold, for those that don't remember, was like a music show uh, all through the 80s with live performances, videos, comedians, the works. And uh, yeah, so I guess we'll be picking records from people that performed on Solid Gold. Sounds expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it will be. You're, you're going to spend a lot of brain cells <laughs> listening to these records. Do you remember Solid Gold? What's your favorite music video? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. Email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some solid gold, but look out for those fashions on the solid gold dancers yikes whoa so sparkly tell yourself to be proud uh thanks for listening everybody catch you next week but you kept it going till the sun <laughs> fell down you kept it going i think you're foolish <laughs> 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 <laughs>